0: Hey, everybody, welcome to season three of fearless women podcast. Thanks for joining us weekly as we bring you inspiring true stories from around the world. I'm Janice McDonald, your host and global champion for women. For more great stories, pick up a copy of my beautiful best selling book, fearless girls with dreams, women with vision. It's available everywhere. Big shout out to our listeners from all around the globe, including USA, UK, Canada, Trinidad and Tobago. Hello, Japan, New Zealand and so many more countries. Hello again. And thank you for being part of our fearless community. I love, love, love having you join us. I'm thinking about you and I hope you're doing all right out there. My fearless friends, I am excited to introduce you to another remarkable person making the world a better place. Dr. Jasmine Ma is a physician, researcher, and now social entrepreneur who focuses on healthcare for older adults. And if that isn't enough, she's currently doing a PhD. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jasmine Ma.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: So if we're lucky, uh, we get to grow old. Aging is a privilege. Tell us about your work and why you love it and how you got started in uh, this line of work.
1: So I'm interested in caring for older adults. I'm currently an internal medicine resident physician and will be doing my fellowship in geriatrics, so care of the elderly um, and care of the older person. And there are two definites in life, Janice. We are going to be born and we are going to die. And in our healthcare system, we put a lot of thought into making the first part of that very, very like meaningful and to make sure that we grow within our childhood to the best of our abilities, but we don't always get that same thought. To the last couple of years of our life. And to illustrate that, just think about how many words we have to describe growing up. We have preterm, we have term babies, we have neonates, we have infants, we have children, we have preteens, we have teens, then we have adults at 18. So 18 years of our life, and if I say any of those terms, you know what I'm talking about. But what about after 65? What about after 50? Are all the people older than 65 the same? Is a well 65-year-old the same as a well 90-year-old? Is an unwell 70-year-old the same as a well 100-year-old? And so that's just one example of how our, I guess, our society in general, but also our healthcare system doesn't put as much thought and care into that aging process. And that's part of the process
0: I'd like to, to help with. And so you're a doctor, but you're also a researcher. Uh, tell us about kind of the calling um, to to become a doctor. And then, you know, you, you've talked about why you love uh, doing the work that you're doing. Just tell us a bit more about that journey.
1: Yeah. So physicians have the ability to make a real impact in people's lives. And when I was growing up, that's the type of impact that I'm currently able to do today. And that's what I wanted to achieve and what I've strived for. And when I was younger, um, My brother actually got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called alopecia areata. It is when your hair falls out um, and because your body's attacking your hair follicles. And we as a family went from physician to physician and we tried different treatments and some of them were really difficult, like acid peel treatments to try and stimulate hair growth. And it was finally a physician who told my family Maybe you should look at what it's doing psychologically to you all as a family and introduced us to some resources. We went to the National Alopecia Areata Foundation, the Canadian Alopecia Areata Foundation, and that actually turned out to be the medicine we needed. And I find it similar in terms of aging care. There are so many amazing things that we can do in hospital. We can keep people alive indefinitely sometimes, but should we be doing it? Is that how people would like to die, or are there people who would like to pass away surrounded by their loved ones at home in the setting they know, with music and food that they have always loved, and that 's the type of choice that I try and keep in my practice and what makes medicine most meaningful for me
0: so we met because you 've been selected as a recipient of the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Scholarship in Canada, uh, where I am a mentor, but You've also received numerous other awards and recognition already in your illustrious career. If your life was a book, what's this chapter called, Jasmine? This
1: chapter of my life is looking through the looking glass because I spent so Mm -hmm. much of my education focused on medicine and focused on physiology and anatomy and learning how the healthcare system works. And these past four to five years... I've looked at, through my PhD and my master's in economics, looking at the healthcare system and the bigger drivers that essentially change and affect why we do things in hospital. And it's been extremely humbling to realize that even with a mass amount of knowledge that I've gained in medicine, there are so many different ways to look at a healthcare system that We don't think about when we're in our kind of silo and specialization.
0: So, you know, on your journey as a doctor and also now as a PhD researcher, what's some helpful advice you've received that you think might be practical or useful for those listening about achieving your goals or or in whatever way you want to uh, approach that in terms of advice?
1: The best advice I could give is to enjoy every step of the process because even if you're focused towards the end goal. If you hate the little successes, the little challenges that it takes for you to get there, then is that end goal going to be worth it? Will you be satisfied when you reach the top? Whereas if you enjoy every moment from the people you're meeting to the types of things you're learning to the ways that you're spending your time, if you don't even reach that goal, you will still be able to say you've enjoyed the process up to that. And so it hasn't been a waste of time. It hasn't been a waste of effort. And I think the pandemic's done a really good job at making us reflect on what matters to us. And sometimes that final goal that we've set to achieve, well, we've already achieved parts of it.
0: And what's something you wish you knew earlier, Jasmine?
1: Something I wish I knew earlier was the people you meet along these journeys. It's both a blessing and future capital to play upon or to use. So I don't think I appreciated when I was meeting so many diverse individuals in my undergrad that their perspective will be useful as I continue my journey. And now I rarely get to meet people outside of my specialty or outside of my interest area in research, which is of course care of older adults. And when I do get to hear their perspectives It becomes so much more valuable because you realize there's a whole school of thought. There's a whole group of people who think like that. And so being able to find their strengths and how it applies to your own work and your own life is very much a blessing that I don't think I had realized growing
0: up. Take us back to your 10-year-old self. Uh, What were you into? Um, Where did you live? And did any of that experience determine your interests and your your passions now?
1: 10-year-old Jasmine wanted to be a Disney on ice figure skater. And <laughs> she was working very hard to diligently reach that goal. Didn't happen, but it's still possible. However,
0: <laughs> You're working away on it.
1: I am. I am. I am currently the vice president of the Dalhousie King's Figure Skating Club. Okay. So you're
0: still chasing that dream. I love it.
1: Exactly. Or doing what I love. I hope it's both. But I remember negotiating with my parents that to be able to skate to the degree that I did, I would have to maintain my marks at school and still do um, the extracurriculars that I had already committed to. And I think my ability to juggle multiple priorities at once comes from those years of intensive training where I was fortunate enough to be able to skate before school and skate after school and still study academically. And I volunteered to teach skating. So I believe that my ability to juggle things and to be able to handle multiple kind of hats at once comes from that era. Good habits built up
0: early. Absolutely, and isn't that so relevant to the many different uh, incredible success that you have in these many different spheres? So, tell us this: what's a time you were fearless, Jasmine?
1: One moment that was both incredibly emotionally provoking on both of those fronts was the first time I ran a code at the hospital. A code usually means there's something going wrong in hospital, and there's two types of codes. There's the code where, unfortunately, the patient has had something happen to them and their heart or their breathing or their lungs have stopped, and that is fairly algorithmic. But there's a second type of code, and the second type of code is that the patient is getting very close to that state of not having a beating heart or a functioning respiratory system so they're not breathing, and those codes are actually more scary And they're scary because when you're running them, when you're trying to figure out what's going wrong, there's the potential that what you do will send them there. And there's the potential that what you do will actually help them get out of a spiral. And so the spiral is that they're getting closer to a bad situation and you have to quickly suss out why are they here? What is their past medical history? What's happening now? And where can I intervene? Where things are going to improve. And to be responsible for that can be scary.
0: I can't even imagine. <laughs> it's very fearless. And well, your patients are grateful. And uh, wow, <laughs> it's incredible, Jasmine. Thank you for sharing that.
1: It took me a long time to be comfortable with that position of power and that position of responsibility. And now that I'm six years into being a physician, I look back at how I felt in those first times and I would tell myself that it's going to be okay and there are people who are going to debrief with you after and you're going to learn and you're going to be able to do more than if no one was there at all. And I think sometimes we worry if we're not good enough, but I think I need to tell myself it is still better to be present because there may not be anyone to do it at all. And I think... I'm able to take that responsibility now and do it confidently. And that increasing confidence in what I do, I think, shows in how I lead these teams and shows in how much more efficiently these processes are now being run for, for patients.
0: That was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. It's so important, the whole confidence piece and recognizing that you're not alone and that you will continue to learn. So you have such a busy uh, and demanding a career. And yet on top of it, so you're uh, you know, working on your PhD, I guess we'll have to call you Dr. doctor doctor. <laughs> you know, now you started a social enterprise. Let science connect. Give us the pitch. Tell us more about this. Why does this matter? Why are you doing it, Jasmine?
1: So my co-founder and I, Prativa, we realized that communicating science is hard. And both of us have had the opportunity to be on different media outlets, so television, radio, writing to different newspapers, and we had to learn how to do this ourselves. Because the first time we did it, it was awful. Nobody told us how to speak to CBC. Nobody told us what to expect on a radio talk show, and it was fairly miserable. So we started our social enterprise, Let Science Connect, To be able to help our fellow scientists communicate what they know best, their science, to society. And our overall goal is to help make science a little bit less confusing for those who may be looking to increase their knowledge, but doesn't necessarily have the decades of background and decades of research years, because you shouldn't need to. We should be able to tell you what we're doing in very easy to understand
0: language. What's the website? It is letscienceconnect.com. For those interested in learning more, you've got the website and you can check it out. So what about you know uh, being a, a doctor and then being a PhD student and a researcher, you just read and read and read. But tell us, is there one book that you would say either a, a current favorite or an all-time favorite that you'd like to share?
1: The book I would recommend is Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, who is a American surgeon, but also I believe he's been a journalist and a writer. And this book is about the medical system and how it fails for people who want something beyond acute medical care. And this was actually the book that inspired my PhD research, which is now looking into Uh, social admission, social abandonment, and social vulnerability, which is essentially people who come to seek health care and seek help for a system that is not meant to help them. And it's actually some really sad stories because these are people who don't have medical needs that fit within the scope of what a hospital might be able to offer, but there's nowhere else for them to go. And their social situation is so poor that they come into hospital, no one can advocate for them. What I do is I try and look at solutions where we can give them the best type of care that they need, that they're looking for, and try and shift that mindset that medicine is not just about physiology and anatomy, but it's about all of those social determinants of health that determine what our health is outside in the community to reflect what we're seeing in the hospital, which is equally our problem as healthcare providers, as healers.
0: What are you seeing? You know, you've been sharing the Canadian context, but if you could apply some of this in a more global context, what are you seeing that is hopeful or excites you in other places in the world?
1: So we know this phenomenon of the social admission actually occurs all around the world. Some of the terminology is from Australia and the UK, such as Acopia or Home Care Impossible. And unfortunately, sometimes this terminology is inappropriately used to label older adults with dementia. And as we kind of mentioned, an older adult with dementia does not belong on an acute psychiatric unit, for example, where people have different needs, are probably more able uh, physically, and maybe have things like schizophrenia. What they do need is a multidisciplinary team with services like physiotherapy, with occupational therapy to modify their home environments. They need a different way of understanding how they perceive the world. It requires a specialized care team to be able to provide care in that context.
0: Is anybody in the world, Jasmine, doing it right, in your opinion? Is anybody, is there anywhere where you're saying, I'm really excited by?
1: I'm really excited about Dementia Villages which is fairly new to Canada, however, is already an established practice in other parts of the world, such as uh, the Scandinavian countries. And these are specialized long-term care homes that are built and have services for people with dementia. And one of the examples that I've heard recently is in this little village, there is a grocery store, there's a library, there's a kitchen, And even if you have dementia, you're allowed to go and function. You're allowed to go out. And if you forget to pay, that's okay because it's kind of there just to increase your independence and your quality of life. If you want to try and cook, it's supervised. So we don't take away your dignity as we know your cognition is going. So increasing dignity, increasing what they're able to do helps their mobility, helps their health. Such an exciting prospect. And I hope it comes to more places in the world.
0: That's very inspiring and and really hopeful too, when you think about if you're living with dementia, that you could still uh, have that kind of quality of life. So you're going to be leading the charge for change, which is very exciting. All right. So, final question What's your dream for the world?
1: So, my grandma has severe dementia. I'm a physician, I'm a researcher in this space, and I could not. With all my knowledge and resources and literacy, find a better solution for taking care of my grandma. And so when my parents get older and when I get older, I want there to be affordable, equitable, and culturally sensitive solutions for aging, for living at home, and for helping people get the resources they need to make their life meaningful, whatever it means for
0: them as they grow older. That's my vision for the world. That's a beautiful vision. You have been listening to Dr. Jasmine Ma, physician, researcher, social enterprise entrepreneur, and overall inspiring person. What an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Jasmine Ma. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless.